Welcome to The She Births Show, a place to inspire your birth, evolve your parenting and help you live a life you love. I'm Nadine Richardson, your host and creator of the scientifically verified birth education program, She Births. I'm also a mother, yoga teacher, doula, author and speaker. At She Births, we have supported thousands of families around the world for over 13 years with our unique program. And our vision is to make birth better for every family around the world so that everyone experiences a beautiful birth no matter what unfolds. Not only do we help people have beautiful births, but we also give them the skills and the philosophy to enjoy pregnancy and make parenting easier. As well as our world-class birth ed, taken either face-to-face or online in our app, we also have a free pregnancy guide designed to help you feel calm, connected and inspired as you and your baby grow. We have a doula matching service, the perfect way to ensure you and your partner are completely supported throughout the whole journey. And we have our soul mama circles, which are the perfect postpartum network to help optimize your mindset and design your life in parenthood. Remember, if you like what you hear today, subscribe, share with a friend and leave us a review. If you're a parent about to be one, fellow health professional, join us now for an inspirational deep dive into topics with experts around the globe. We hope you enjoy this special episode. Today's podcast is called How to Heal Birth Trauma and Have a VBAC in the Hospital System, Yannicka's Vaginal Birth After Caesarean. So June is VBAC Awareness Month here in Australia. VBAC stands for, if you haven't grabbed it already, one of these annoying obstetric maternity acronyms, Vaginal Birth After Caesarean. Sometimes it's VBAC2C, so after two caesarean and so on. But I like to sometimes call the VBAC, you know, the near miracle birth in this day and age. Before we begin, I think it's helpful to hear some of the statistics and then we'll jump into the truly inspiring story from Yannicka. Around the world, successful VBAC stats are incredibly low. The BMC, Pregnancy and Childbirth, in 2020 stated that VBAC rates are quite high in countries such as Finland, Norway and the Netherlands, between 38 and 55% and low in both Australia and America, around 12%. In Australia, the vast majority of caesareans undertaken are due to repeat caesareans. And in New South Wales, the VBAC rate varies from 6% in private hospitals to 19% in public hospitals. I'll just give you a moment to take that all in because it's no small feat for a woman to psychologically prepare for a VBAC. She often has to push hard and within our systems and be like 200% confident in herself, but she'll get knocked back in that confidence many, many times and have to reclaim that confidence over and over again. It really helps also 
to understand why so many of us doulas and educators and midwives are working so hard to prevent the first cesarean for mums too. And all of us investing in our education and our birth support to have the most natural birth possible because it isn't easy to recover and it isn't easy to give birth a second time as well, naturally, if we want to. So I'd like to warn some of you that this podcast could be triggering if you have specific birth trauma. It could also be incredibly empowering and healing, I think, if you are preparing for a VBAC. Throughout the conversation, you can learn how Yannicka prepared for and managed to avoid not only another cesarean, but the trauma and the triggers from her first labor. We talk about her general anesthetic emergency C-section and the first labor with very little encouragement from providers in Abu Dhabi. We also talk about the two different types of induction that she had with each labor. We discuss her working with a psychologist and becoming more mindful and in a very healthy way, more selfish. We talk about how she births, prepares both parents, but also how it helps in the healing and the processing of previous trauma, just that time put aside and the whole education and journey of that weekend course together. And of course, my favorite takeaway that I think we can all benefit from is no is a full sentence. So thank you, Yannicka. Thank you to all our listeners. I hope you find it useful. But I met my husband in the Middle East, in Abu Dhabi, and we had our first child there. His name is Sasha. He's three and a half, going to be four in October, actually. And um, we've been in Australia since 2019. We first were on Hamilton Island and then at the end of COVID, so end of 2020, we moved to Sydney and that's where we've been. And we've recently had baby Zaya. <laughs> so 11 cute. weeks ago now. 11 weeks. Oh, my goodness. And you don't look too sleep deprived. It's pretty impressive. Well, I think it's different with the second one. I, I just sort of accepted from the get-go that I'm going to be tired. So because I just accepted it and I was just going with the flow, I feel like my kids have been very generous with letting me sleep at night time. <laughs> oh, he's so cute. So cute. Now, um, why did you want to come on to the SheBirth show? Well, because you're a very inspiring person and I absolutely adored the SheBirth course and felt like it was so essential in my second birth that I feel like it's really important to share a VBAC story because I feel like a lot of the people, well, I think I was the only second time mum on the course that I did. Um, and I feel like there's a lot of people out there trying to get information on VBACs and hear VBAC stories. I know for me personally, when I was pregnant, I was listening to every VBAC podcast I possibly could, listening to everyone's story, just... I just found them really inspiring. So I, I feel like I just want to pay it forward a little bit and, and share mine. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, should we start with your first experience of birth? With yes. Sasha. 
So you'd grown up in the Middle East. That's right. So did you feel very clear that, that this was a different culture that you were birthing in? Um, it's, it's a difficult question to answer because I would say yes, but also no, because a lot of the people that work in hospitals are experts. So they bring the international culture with them. So they're sort of working under the um, under this, it's sort of a different system, but they still have their own cultural beliefs with them. Yeah, right. So, so it's like this be, mixture of different can, cultures meeting as well, isn't it? That's right. So it's all a bit of a mix, um, but it's very medicalised. Everything is private healthcare. There's no, there's no community midwives. There's no, not really home births. There's not um, follow-up care or the midwives don't come out to you at home or there's no option for anything like that. It's all sort of obstetrician led. There's no midwife group practices. There's if there is, I don't know about them, but I I was not aware of any of these things so it was all find the obstetrician pick the hospital and you you go from there yeah and do they even do they allow things like water births or I mean I know there's um very high episiotomy rates in the Middle East as well there's a lot of birthing on the back there's yeah well I didn't know anything about a water birth or even I was not given the option anyway because I actually am in a, they put me in a high risk category because I have low platelets. So that means that I'm at higher risk of bleeding. Um, So that's something that I've had always before pregnancy, even though you can get low platelets from pregnancy. Yeah. Um, So they, you know, there was a lot of extra medical, medical in my case. Yeah, so right. that was also hard to navigate because I didn't know what was just normal pregnancy or what was medical things. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, no, you know. yeah, I mean, high risk sort of labeling as well creates a lot of anxiety for women and parameters of risk vary between obstetricians, between hospitals, between countries so yeah and it is hard to know it's your first baby you don't have a degree in in all of that so how did you feel going through the pregnancy journey there well I I was very I I was naive you know I just trusted what the doctors said I was so trusting everything that the doctors told me why would I question that they they know best they're the experts they know exactly what's going on here um, so I just completely put my trust in them and just went went with it. Um, and because they they actually suggested that I have a cesarean straight up, um, and I didn't question it. I was like, well, that's that's because of my medical condition, and that's that must be the safest option for me. So that that's what we've that's what we're doing. Um, but then around thirty two or 33 weeks pregnant my obstetrician said I don't have I don't really have trust in the hospital here that they'll be able to provide the platelets for you so I'm going to send you to the public hospital so I was like oh okay this is 
bit of a curveball. So I went to go and see another obstetrician and she was like, why are you having a cesarean? We don't need to do that. You've got the best chances as if you deliver naturally. So I was like, yes, okay, that's great. So good. Um, And in hindsight, you know, it's private health. Cesareans equal more money for the hospital, essentially. So if that's the easiest thing and the best way that they can control a bad outcome as well, potentially, that's what they're going to do. That's how I felt about it. Anyway, that's my experience. So being in this public hospital where they... um, She's just smiling at me the whole time. Oh, yes. <laughs> the baby. Yeah. So cute. Um, you learn being, so much in such a short amount of time. Keep going. It's a good, it's a good teaching for everyone. Yeah. Um, so being in the public hospital now with hardly any time to go, I, I had a very short time to wrap my head around natural birth, giving birth naturally. So I tried my best with everything. I, I, in my naivety and, you know, I was 25. I knew I wanted to have, I had a friend at home who's like a birth warrior. She loves birth. Everything about her is just so birth related and she's so inspiring to me. So I was straight on the phone to her, like, what can I do? She was like, read this book, get these affirmations, visualize this. I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I've got this. Um, but then, you know, the stretch and sweeps came and the talk of induction. And I didn't, I didn't know about any of these things. I didn't know that these things could eventually lead to more induction, um, more intervention, sorry. Um, so that's essentially what happened is I took the stretch and sweeps. I took the induction, um, do you know what and, weeks you were when you started having the stretch and sweeps or how many you had? So I was 30, around 39 and a half weeks okay. when they did this first stretch and sweep, which was awful. I was like, I had no idea what it was. I had no idea what that would feel like. Um, and, yeah, that wasn't very nice at all. I only had one because after she did that, I was like, I'm, I'm not doing that again. That's no. That just is so uncomfortable. Um, so then once I got to about 40 and a half weeks, she asked me if I wanted another one and I was like, no, so I'd rather just wait. And then she said, well, we'll we'll book the induction for 41 weeks. And I was just like, okay, (laughs) okay, that's, you know, that's the obstetrician. That's what she's telling me that we should do. So that's what we should do. Right. I didn't, my husband didn't know any different. I didn't know any different. So we went in at 41 weeks and we started with the induction and the induction so I was induced with a um a pessary I don't know exactly what the drug was yeah like cervidil prostaglandin something like that yeah um so they put that the pessary inside which was also super uncomfortable um and then we just waited around that was it. it started and around that I was induced maybe 6 a.m. in the morning and by 11 o'clock at night I just started feeling things and I was it came on a little bit uh, uh, like a bit of a surprise and sort of a, a shock that I called the midwife in and I was like I think something's really happening like I have no idea it's my first time through labor I have no idea what to expect I was like you know it's really it's really sore it's really painful and she asked me on a scale of one to ten 
how I felt. And I was like, it's probably five. And she was like, oh, you know, I don't really think we're that far along. And then she was like, should we do a check? And so she did a, um, a vaginal exam. She was like, you're only one centimeter. And I was so disheartened by all this language. But at the time, yeah. I didn't think anything of it. I just thought that's how that's how midwives talk. I didn't. Yeah. The only didn't, one centimeter. Like only, that's amazing to be one know, centimeter. Like the, all that yeah. work that's gone on while you've been so-called meant to be resting in the hospital, which of course you haven't because you haven't had yeah. a good night's sleep before. Mm-hmm. You've gone mm-hmm. in at 6 a.m. and then you're in the that's hospital right. in your shitty bed, you know, and lights and people coming in and checking and so all that shortening of the cervix and that softening to get to one centimeter like that's friggin' awesome yep anyway <laughs> I mean that's the beauty of hindsight isn't it because of course, no, this when is I look when I look back that was the moment that it that it started you know my psychologically must change yeah. yeah psychologically there wasn't there wasn't the encouragement that I needed so because I felt so disheartened, she offered me a morphine wow. injection um, because obviously I said I was at a five out of 10 pain. So she was like, I can offer you something for the pain. So I was like, okay, well, if I'm only one centimeter and this is already really sore, I need to sleep. I haven't slept for two nights. So of course yeah. I, I took it. Um, and I think that really relaxed my body enough to get a good rest I had a good rest but from the next morning things started really really going and they needed to replace the pessary after 24 hours they needed to keep it going but I said I was so uncomfortable with it um that can I please see my obstetrician now because I'd like to talk to her because it was you know midwife changing all the time um, and my obstetrician was like, no, don't worry about it. Let's just see what your body can do. Your body's going to do this. Like she was so supportive. And all I needed to do was just hear those words because as soon as she said, you've got this, you're going to do it. We're just going to let you have a rest. We're going to leave you alone now. From, from around that morning till about 12 in the middle of the day, that was it. It was, it was full steam ahead. Everything was happening. Um, but obviously I'm on the monitor the whole time. I'm, I've got restricted movements. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't, I I feel like I always have to be careful with my language because I don't want to, I, I don't want to sound like, um, I wasn't that in control, but I actually wasn't in control. Like they didn't allow me to have a lot of things. They didn't allow me to move. Even though I could have asked, I could have said, I didn't feel like I was in a position to. Um, So I was restricted quite a lot with movement. Um, Because of my low platelets, an epidural or a spinal wasn't an option for me because you have to have a certain, you have to be over a certain threshold to get, get the spinal or the epidural. So my platelets are have always been below that. So I knew that wasn't an option anyway. So I was just getting through with gas um, and I was trying to be in and out of the water in the bath, in the bathroom, whenever they would let me have a break from the monitors. Wow. But once once things started getting um, really intense, I I was restricted to the bed 
they told me every time they needed to do a check that the only way they could do that was if I was on my back on the bed. So there was a lot of movement. I was trying to be leaning up against the bed and then they kept wanting to do checks. Um, so I, I was moving back around onto my back the whole time. And every time I would move, I would get another contraction and it was so awkward. And <laughs> yeah, very everything, painful too, right? Everything was so intense and completely out of my control. Like I didn't feel, I felt like I was just being moved around, bearing through, but I also thought I was doing a great job. Like I was like, I'm doing great. I can, this is okay. Like we're getting through this. And eventually they told me I was 10 centimeters. And I was like, wow. wow. Like, I was like, how, I was like, wow, this is great. How have I done this with no, no wow. epidural? No, I didn't, ha- I didn't even know what a TENS machine was at this stage. Like I didn't know what that was just getting through on gas and um that was so motivating for me that when I started pushing that I I was just like I'm gonna do this I got this strength it from somewhere inside that I was like this is happening now my husband was like in my face like scared as anything but still like you've got this we're gonna get through this um but there was a lot of guided pushing um which didn't feel right but I just I just pushed when she said push because what do I know you know I don't she's the she's the professional she knows what she's doing um and she was lovely the midwife don't get me wrong but I there wasn't there wasn't that sense of this is your body I'm just going to assist you it was like I'm I know what's best for your body that kind of vibe yeah um so she would tell me when to push and something happened um his heart rate started dropping and it wasn't get it wasn't coming back to base and then they all got they all started faffing around so in the midst of all of this pushing everything the lights come on the obstetricians come in not my obstetrician she wasn't there unfortunately so the the obstetricians on duty came in and there was maybe two or three of them and they all in there talking around, lights are on in my face. And then suddenly I, I, I don't even know what happened, to be honest. I, all I know is that his heart rate was dropping and they told me, Yannicka, his heart rate's not coming back. Um, we're going to have to do a cesarean now. And now for a quick break. At SheBirths, the mother is at the centre of everything we do. We believe that birth and matrescence is a sacred rite of passage. And we believe that the journey is unique for everyone. Wherever you are in your journey, SheBirths is here to support you. Starting with our free pregnancy guide, which offers you six months of weekly support. You will receive nourishment for body, mind and soul via your inbox and engage with content within our free app. Enjoy yoga videos, recipes, birth affirmations, course discounts, and so much more to help you feel calm, connected, and inspired for birth. Sign up online to our free pregnancy guide on our website, shebirths.com, and download our free app today in any app store. So 
So I've got consent forms in my face signing and I'm 10 centimeters. I'm pushing. My body is just, I'm not even doing anything at this stage. My body is, has taken over. I, my, my cognitive brain has shut down. Like I don't even know what's going on anymore. My body is doing it for me. So the next thing I know I'm being wheeled off to theater and the sad, sad thing about having low platelets and not having epidurals that you have to have a general anesthetic. So I was put under straight away with, from the minute his heart rate dropped, I think it was 20 minutes until he was born. It was so quick. There was, there was no time to think, no time to discuss, no time to talk about what yeah. would happen if we didn't have a cesarean? What are our options? We didn't have any time to do. It felt so, so urgent that that was that was the only possible yeah. possible way that he was going to be born. So yeah, so that's what happened. Incredibly, it must have been like an incredibly overwhelming experience. So when you say you weren't really sure, like there must have been so much intensity. Like what do you remember the, how it felt for you? And how it felt maybe for your husband as well. So, so I remember my husband, um, Roos, he was sort of fighting back at the doctors because I was obviously so, I don't remember, but he said you were so distressed by the lights coming on and everyone in trying to talk to you in your face, like to try and discuss cesarean with you, that he was, he said he was fighting back with them and Luckily, I managed to get a copy of the clinical notes years later, so only recently, but I'll come to that. And they wrote down that my husband was being very, um, they didn't write aggressive, but they said was not being cooperative. Oh and the way, they, the way they wrote about it, I was like, oh, that's great, though. Thank you. Like someone in my corner, even though, unfortunately, it didn't do anything. Yeah. Um, he was obviously trying his best with what little he knew about the whole situation as well. Cause yeah, I, I don't remember, but he said I was really in distress. And I remember the, the minute before they put the mask on to put me under that. I was just, I was just crying. Like I give up, just do it, whatever I give up. Yeah. I was like, just take, just take this pain away, take it away. I don't, I can't do this anymore. And purely, purely, at a very vulnerable, I'm done stage. Like no yeah. words, no feelings, just yeah, completely take it away. Like do what you need to do. I don't have any choice anyway. That's how I felt. Like doesn't matter what I say, doesn't matter what I do, and it certainly doesn't matter how I feel um, because you're just going to do what you need to do now. So, Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Just gonna like let that sit for a moment because if you're yeah. listening, it's it's really big and you describe it really well. And and this, in my experience, can become trauma because it, in the moment it's too much to process. Yeah, no one's actually asking you how you feel. No, no one's that's being right. supportive. Your husband's trying to protect you, so he can't be your advocate and your daddy doula. You know, like yeah. that's you really new roles for any person to hold even an educated person yeah even a skilled person you know he's done it before so yeah so I mean you met your little baby what happened next you woke up or so I woke up and my midwife was was there and she said Yannicka you had a little boy because I didn't know I didn't we didn't know what we were having 
And I just remember crying and crying and crying. And I didn't know, I think I went back to sleep straight away. And then I woke up in, in the um, recovery, in the room, the, the recovery room. And as soon as I woke up, I went to stand up and the nurse got up and was like, whoa, 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 slow down, slow down. I was like, where is my baby? I have to see my baby. And she was like, oh, you can go and meet him later once you're rested. And I was like, what? Are you serious? Get me, get me to my baby right now. Like I need yeah. to see him. Um, so she was like, okay, okay, let me just go and ask. And I was like, I was, you know, all the while trying to stand up, pulling things off oh me. God. Like I need, I need to get up and see my child. Wow. That instinct um, of the mother. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so she was like, okay, slow down. I'll get you a wheelchair. And I was like, okay, whatever you need to do to get me to the, um, he'd gone to the NICU apparently. So even when they said that, I was like even more motivated to get up and yeah. go. And it'd only been about three hours since the surgery had finished. Wow. Um, so I got up straight away and went to go and see him. And they put a pump on my breast and we got some colostrum and fed him through, <laughs> met him for the first time. Sorry. Oh, little Zaya. <laughs> sad about me talking about this story <laughs> yeah we're talking about your brother he's okay um so just popping her on the boob yeah so I'm, I walked into the NICU and I ha- I heard his cry before I saw him I just knew it was him um wow and it's almost like he knew we walked in the room because he wow. started crying when we walked in and you know meeting your baby through a box for the first time has its has its own emotions with it but it was all just very intense it was a lot you know with the drugs wearing off from the general anesthetic and all the extra pain meds they give you for a cesarean um and meeting your first baby for the first time and not really knowing if they're okay because you hadn't found out why they'd gone to the NICU yet or if they're what's going on. It's just a lot of unanswered questions and a lot of feelings that are really difficult to process in that high intensity um, situation. All the while trying to think about what actually happened back there. Like, why did I have a cesarean? What happened? What what went on? Like there was just so much confusion, so many, um, so many questions and a lot of, a lot, a lot of emotion that I knew was going to be really hard to deal with. But at the mo- at that time, all I wanted to do was just get my baby in my arms and get home. That was my goal. I was like, okay, what do we need to do to get home? Um, so that was that was the goal. And I did everything I could just to, you know, I denied the lactation consultant in the hospital. I was like, I, I don't want to sit here with you. I just want to go home. Yeah. <laughs> everything I was like, I put up my barriers now. I was like, I don't, I don't want you guys' help. I don't want anything from you. I've got this. I know I'm I already had a plan to call a private midwife to yeah. come to my house afterwards. So I was like, I'm gonna ask her. I've got everything already planned for this now. I'm, I'm done with this hospital. I'm going to go. Yeah. Obviously, that wasn't the case because 
after a cesarean it's major surgery you you have to sit there for a few days while they watch you and I was on antibiotics and Sasha was on antibiotics because he he ended up the reason he went to the NICU was because of he had a high um CRP marker which is the marker for infection right um and he also had trouble breathing apparently when he was born so they had him on antibiotics when he was born as well which was I don't remember consenting to that you know I don't remember being well my husband wasn't even asked yeah it was just something that was done so um yeah but you know once we got out and got home it was just (laughs) amazing you know we've got this beautiful baby all of that stuff didn't happen didn't exist to me anymore I was just moving forward with what we've got and I was just grateful to have a healthy baby at this stage so I didn't really spend too much time thinking about the birth anymore and I just sort of tried to move forward from it yeah it was only really later when I got pregnant again that I started to process the first birth yeah so like three years on or just under three years was it just under three years later just under three years later yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, in a sense that's I often think, you know, that first couple of years of any baby is actually, you know, it's a high kind of such a busy time. It's it is really hard to process our own emotions as well as be the busy parent and keep a marriage float and keep yeah. the finances you know going and paying mortgages and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of normal the way that it happened for you. Yeah, and, you know, I don't feel like it affected me at all after I must have just put it in a little box, in a vault, and just let it live there and really try my best to not let it affect me going forward and just put everything I could into being the best mum I possibly could and that's what I did and only three years less just less than three years later when I was pregnant again and I got pregnant only really after I stopped breastfeeding I breastfed Sash for over two and a half years um so as soon as I stopped breastfeeding I got my period back and we were like let's go again I'm ready for this again and it was it was just the right decision at that time and then once I found out I was pregnant all of the previous birth things, they just naturally came up. They just naturally started thinking about what kind of birth I want to have this time. And with that obviously comes dissecting the first birth and and what I went through then and what should I do differently this time and really looking back. So it was at that stage that I really knew in my heart that I needed a therapist to help me through this. So that's what that's what happened. I have a wonderful psychologist who helps me through a lot of things. Um, but she really helped me go through and process the first birth, but also how to, how to look and approach the second birth. Okay. Well, that's really interesting. I mean, do you think it's essential for a psychologist to have had birth experience to help you with that like what type of tools is she helping you with and so it's more about trauma-informed care and and triggers and how to witness yourself when you're in your um when 
<laughs> oh goodness, too much boob. What happened? When you're in the primitive brain, when you when you feel under attack, what the what I, I was she taught me how to observe the responses in my body of what what happens because when I was first starting going to my obstetrician appointments because obviously I'm in high risk again because of my platelets, um, I would just break down and cry each time every appointment because my husband wasn't allowed with me because of COVID. So I was going to all these appointments by myself, meeting the midwives by myself, meeting all the doctors by myself. I would just cry each time. It was, it was just so completely unresolved trauma from the first birth. Um, and I just got that feeling of, I'm not going to have any control because these doctors are telling me that X, Y, Z. So how am I going to have any say in this when they they have all the answers they know what's going to happen and it's like they've already got it into their mind how they're going to control this birth yeah and you were back in Sydney so this was in Sydney sorry yes so this is in Sydney yeah the Royal Women's yeah um but I had a group of midwives the whole way through and they they were amazing and they all have different, they all had different, um, they brought different things. Like each one of them was like a different persona. Like one of them was like the mum type. One of them was like the nice sister. And one of them I actually didn't meet the whole time. She was always away. Mm-hmm. Um, she was covering in some, another department. And then I just met her a few times briefly. The shadow midwife. The shadow midwife, but you know, there was always that chance that it was going to be her at the birth, and I'd never yeah. really met her. Turns yeah. out she was the one that was at my birth. Oh, right. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I just somehow knew every time I spoke to her, I was like, you know, we haven't spent any time together. You're going to be at the birth, aren't you? It's going to be you. Hilarious. <laughs> always laugh about it, but um, yeah, it did end up being her at the birth in the end. But, um, Yes, here. So here I go to my doctor's appointments and trying to get through all the um, the doctors' lingo and their plans. And I'm straight away from the beginning. What do you need, Zaya? What do you need? You can have a little break anytime. I think she needs. I think she needs a little sleep. She needs a sleep. Do you want to pause? No. Yeah, she's all right. Little. Need to get her into a comfy, comfy spot. A little comfy spot. Yeah. <laughs> She's usually so, so. Good. She, I never hear her cry. Really. Well, you're bringing up. It is a lot of emotions that you're like ar- allowing to arise, and I think they do feel it. It's pretty common. Oh, absolutely, they do. Yeah, They're such intuitive little things. They really know. We don't yeah. give them. We don't give them the credit they deserve. Yeah, that's exactly right. I find in the soul mama circles when the mums are processing their their births, babies will often cry because the mum's also trying to hold herself and hold her back. It's like it's like ah conflict of needs and interests yeah. going on right now, as well as all yeah. the emotions. That's right. Hmm. It's all good. Little Baba. Yeah. Um how's it going? Am I am I articulating yeah, it right? You're doing you really great articulation and it's really good to talk about trauma informed care and 
that ability to observe our feelings. So you said you were coming out of the OB appointments crying, but then the psychologist was helping you to understand witnessing those feelings or your body as well. So were you processing them, but also getting friendly with the midwives? This was yes. the journey. So every time I came out of the appointments crying, the next appointment with my psychologist, I would talk through the appointment and we would really look at, okay, well, when did you start crying? What did they say to make you start crying? And start looking at certain words and certain things that I could, or basically your triggers that you can now witness. And she said, when you cry, how do you feel? So I would talk about how my body would tense up and that I would feel like I want to stop crying, like I'm trying to hold back the tears. And she said, the next time that happens, just let everything flow. You are allowed to be yourself. You can cry, just witness everything. And that is the first step is just allowing your body to go through its process. This is your body's process. So when once you witness everything, and you sort of know what is going to be your triggers, you can better prepare yourself to, to understand, firstly, yourself, but also know that once they say certain things that you're like, okay, I understand that now too. So this is my, and I've had my response to it. And now I'm, I, I know that I can move forward from this, that it, it's all just a process of witnessing and, allowing everything to flow and watching it happen that's that's basically how it really helped me and my midwife being a really listening caring person was super pivotal as well because she every time I was crying she was like why why does this happen you don't do this with our appointments like whenever I would be in with her or have a midwife checkup what what is it about the doctors and I said well, it's because doctors in my previous birth, they had all the control. And I felt like I didn't have any control when everything was obstetrician led before because I didn't get an outcome that I wanted. And I felt like I wasn't involved in any decision making. Whereas, and, and it's, it's, just a, it's just a trauma response. It doesn't yeah. matter who the person is. It's that figurative, it's the authority figure. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's just what happened for me and my midwife said okay well um what can we do to help this and I said do you know what would really help is if my husband could be here with me I'm here by myself every time you know and it's all good and well having you sat here with me I appreciate that too but I need someone that knows me that loves me that cares about me to be with me and these things are so important and I really I really feel for all the women who have had to do these things by themselves because it is hard it is hard 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 and there you can't take that you can't you can't take that away from anyone you know it's yeah it really is an awful thing to go through by yourself when especially if you have had a bad experience in the past and you really need that person by your side so she managed to get an exemption for him so he would be able to come with me into these appointments and it was it was once a month so yeah. he came with me once a month to the doctor's appointments. And as soon as he, the first appointment that he was there with me, I stopped crying. Yeah. So as soon as he was with me, I didn't cry anymore at these appointments. Wow. And now for a quick break. 
She Births is where science and nature come together. As the only scientifically verified birth education course in the world, we can help you understand nature's intelligent design for birth while learning the most evidence-based birthing skills. We know that by getting to know yourself and by educating your team well now, you will be able to manage more of the challenges ahead with ease and grace. From our free pregnancy guide to our world-class birth education, to our post-birth Soul Mama Circles, you can be supported to find the mother within you. Our doula service is bespoke and provides only the best-in-class trained birth support to SheBirth's families. Over 60% of our mums choose a doula in their birthing room and we know that they will have the best care, best pain relief and evidence-based support for their empowerment. Go to shebirths.com forward slash doula, D-O-U-L-A, and book a free 15-minute consultation today to discuss your needs. So that just goes to show it was a huge thing having support, which... Yeah, and like you said, you've got this contrast as well of like a caring, listening midwife compared to that sort of classical nurse that you had in the first episode. On a scale of 1 to 10, what's your pain level? Like (laughs) you're only one centimetre and like... You know, yeah. that you've got such great examples of people to understand how language, how care, yeah. how listening, how support, like all these elements that we talk about at SheBirths, you know, it's not just education. You have to take the bloody education and you have to make yeah. some choices. You've got to yeah, put people great. there around you to support yeah. you. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know. I could go on whinging for a moment. Someone says, like, my birth preferences didn't make a difference. I didn't show them to my obstetrician. I'm like, well, that's not my problem. Like, don't blame the, the educator. Like, it's up to you to show the birth yeah. preferences after you've done the course or to get a doula to help you with that or make sure your partner does that. Yeah. You know, you've got to actually take the knowledge and put it into practice. It's totally different if we're ignorant and 99% of the population are. We don't even teach 1% of the people in Australia. Yeah. Probably not even 1% does independent birth education. So, yeah, anyway, that's my little rant as an educator. <laughs> but it's so, but it's true. As I, I mean, even in in the same vein as that, when, you, when you're working through with a psychologist with trauma-informed consent and learning about those things, you also have to tell your midwives or, the, or your care providers these are my triggers. This is what yeah. happened to me before. Please don't do this again to me. This makes me feel, um, this makes me feel X, Y, Z, or whatever yeah. it might be. Once yeah. you've worked through those things, you have to take it forward to them and say, when yeah. you say this, it makes me feel this. So please don't do that. Or yeah. be please be aware that what happened to me before, I, I felt out of control. I didn't have choices. I felt like my body was being controlled by the medical providers. So please, please be aware of that. And once I said all those things, they really tried. They really, yeah. they, I really felt the effort from them, you know. Well, and You're kind of educating them as well. You know, you're educating them about you, but you're educating them about how to practice in ways they probably haven't been mirrored, of course, in that culture. 
of the hospital since they were doing their clinicals. They might have done a subject on it in midwifery, but it certainly wasn't mirrored to them, uh, wasn't adopted as standard practice, right, in mm. all those years of being in delivery suite. So you're educating them in general and educating them about you. So it's perfect. So I'm really happy that people are hearing this information. Yeah. I mean, I remember when you came to Shebirths and, like you said, you were the only second-time couple. We normally have one um, second-time family. Often the second-time families would do the online course um, or private mentoring and so on, but I think the whole two days is the optimum. It's kind of a process of transformation and people often ask, you know, can I come into that space if I have previous trauma? And what would you say to families like that and how is the process for you so for me from the moment I knew I was pregnant I was like this time is going to be different I was already motivated to have a v-back I already knew straight away this is what I wanted I wanted redemption I wanted to be in control I wanted to do things my own way and of course I thought right now I'm in Australia that's going to be easy (laughs) of course it's not always the case Um, so I think doing a course in person, even if for me, if it was just me giving birth, not my partner, then I would probably have just done an online course maybe, but it's so important for your birthing, like for the birthing person and their support people to do these courses. I think because my husband what he learned at SheBirth was absolutely invaluable. Like if we didn't do that, it would have been a different experience altogether because he was so like during labor, he was in the SheBirth book. He was going through all of the tips. He was going through everything. We were trying all the things that we learned. And because we'd visually and been there in person where, you know, you sort of correct techniques and you can try all of these things with everyone in person where someone can be like, yep, you're doing it right. Or, no, why don't you try it this way? It's just, it's just, you, you, it's honestly priceless. Like you can't, you can't fault anything about it. And it's so, so important. I think for me, it was just invaluable. I, I really, I'm so grateful and so impressed actually with how much support there is for the partners and yeah. not just and, and it's it's sort of an all-encompassing like it covers everything I think one thing though my husband was like I just didn't know what to do when you were pushing <laughs> like that part was really scary and I didn't know what to do in that stage and I was like don't worry I feel like what you did was perfect <laughs> Aww. yeah that's so sweet um I, I mean you you cried a lot do you remember that talking to me and crying during the Shebirth course yeah, because I'm so, I'm just, I was so passionate about having a V-back and I was feeling a lot of, um, not pushback, yeah. but a little bit of pushback. I don't know the right word to use, but there's definitely barriers there, especially when it comes to V-back. People would rather just play it safe. Um, they don't really give you any information on the risks of having a second cesarean. It's all about the risk. You only hear about the risk of uterine rupture. You only hear about the risk of um, going overdue and what that does to your scar and all of these negative things about having a VBAC, but nothing about having a second cesarean and what that would do to you. Um, and also the way they give statistics. Yeah. 
is 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 not helpful and not encouraging like they would they would say the risk of um uterine rupture is 0.5 percent and I said well how about you tell me the risk of my uterus not rupturing is 99.5 percent you know it's just the way you say things that can really be encouraging or discouraging so I felt a lot of um I wouldn't even say it was they were for they were for a second cesarean because they weren't they were just they weren't very either way it wasn't like there wasn't like this huge support for you can do this like we're definitely going to do everything we can but at the same time they weren't against a v-bag so it was just very like we'll see what happens we'll see what happens like we can't make any plans and because of my platelets they had to make another plan and then all the logistics about having platelets on hand at the hospital came into play as well. So there was a lot of things that we couldn't plan ahead for. Um, So essentially I had to come to terms with the fact that my birth was going to be a wait and see moment. And from their perspective as well, it was going to be a wait and see. And that was just... Wait and see went into natural labour, wait and see... what well, was what yeah it was wait and see what happens basically and I yeah. I, I said this I every appointment I was like this is what I want I'm, I'm having a v-back it wasn't even like I'm trying for a v-back I didn't even use that language yes and that's you, I think that's the common language v-back attempt or attempting a v-back even I know and I feel like that's like it's not a bad thing to say but I for me personally I just in my experience I was just saying I'm having a v-back And then they would, and then they would say, well, you know, we just have to wait and see what happens and we have to make the plans to to help you achieve that. And it's like, well, I'm having one. So that's like, but that's the same with every birth. It's always a wait and see, you know, like we don't know, like, you know, any birth could end up in a cesarean, any birth, anywhere. Right. And so, you know, to say I'm having a VBAC or to say, well, I'm having a water birth, vaginal water birth in the birth centre. You know, it's okay. We understand, but it does, you know, help the brain, which helps the body, yeah, prepare for what's coming and to set ourselves up with that goal. I think um, as well, to have a VBAC, you have to be like 200% committed. Oh, 100%. All yeah. this, this resistance yeah. and these hurdles. Yeah. And you have to jump, obviously. Yeah. Because even they can put like a tiny little seed in your mind, like a tiny little thing that builds and builds and builds. And then you'd be like, maybe it's just safer if I I have a repeat cesarean, especially if there's been trauma in that first one where you just don't want to go through any of that again. Like you wouldn't even want to risk that. You wouldn't want to risk that. That is what the hard, hard part of wanting a VBAC is is for a lot of women, especially a lot of women that I've spoken to have had cesareans who are now pregnant, and I've said, so VBAC? <laughs> like, no, I'm just, just going to have a cesarean because I really don't want to even risk that happening again. And, of course, like, I feel really, really sad about that, but that's also their choice. So yeah, it's like you say, you have to really be committed. And yeah. I think if if there was more support out there for VBACs then it would definitely be it's definitely the easier option yeah I feel and of course but it is a choice like you say so I feel like for you though as well like the she births course was a 
I always feel like the second time it's a processing weekend. It is for every couple, but I think specifically there's you realise what the feelings really are on a deeper level. You realise the knowledge that you didn't have. You realise the choices you weren't encouraged to even be informed about to make choices about, you know. It's like you just yeah. don't know what you don't know. And yeah. so I think there's a lot of light bulb moments and I think sometimes grieving over the lack of information and the lack of support that people would have been given. Yeah, it's it's definitely a process and it's definitely a good opportunity to learn about every part from pregnancy to lactation and to just have more information and know, like even I thought I knew a lot of stuff my first birth, but I really didn't. I really didn't. And just to be able to have the opportunity to be around people who are supportive and it is, it's immersive. You really feel like you're, you can just ride the whole thing as a practice, you know, it's like, it's so good for just practicing birth and practicing and visualization was one of my top, top things that helped me is I would just from the visualization practices that we did on the course, they for me were so amazing and I'd never have thought of doing them myself. But then once we did them on the on the course and we both, my husband and I did them together and we were like, that was really good. Like you can really, you know, you can really practice in your mind and go over things, how you want things to be. And then once I'd got that seed in my mind, I was like, I'm just going to play my birth over in my mind. But at the same time, I also have to be open-minded that things could change. So it was like a balance between picturing and practicing everything that's going to happen, but also being understanding that things will change and everything will be unexpected. Some things could be unexpected. So for me personally, I didn't have a birth plan. Um, I didn't have birth preferences. I just, I'd like written down or anything. I just, I'd communicated really well to my midwives before and got them sort of to repeat back to me so that I knew as well that they understood what I wanted and didn't want because with my first birth I had a birth plan and everything on it was opposite <laughs> so for me personally that wasn't going to work this time so yeah. they knew I you just well. you'd made yourself very well known <laughs> yeah I, I definitely did I definitely did I was very very um well especially on when we went into hospital I was very I was probably the annoying person that said no to everything. I said no to everything. And I, one big thing that I kept playing in my mind was that no is a full sentence. You do not have to explain yourself. <laughs> Just say no. You don't no have to explain. No is a full sentence. No That's is a full one. sentence. Just say no. You don't have to explain yourself. You don't have to go to them with these, with data and research to back up your decision. It's your body. It's your choice. It's your decision. You don't have to explain to anyone why you want to do what you want to do. And, and that's you- actually the law, like, by the way, that is the law. Like, no one can perform anything on you. No one should be using, you know, ethically. It is not uh, trained. It's not meant to happen that we feel coerced at all in our decision-making, but so often women are. So, oh, yeah. yeah, so it's really um, important that women understand that because, 
we have to remember at the end of the day, like no one lives inside your body. No one yeah. is going to carry this body going forward. You are the person that's going to have to live with uh, complications and trauma if that was to unfold. So how could anybody yeah. tell you what's best for you going forward? Only you can take responsibility for that. That's right. And, you know, when you look back as well, once you leave the hospital, they don't. there's maybe one follow-up. The, on day two that's it they come to check the baby they say how are you yeah good okay bye that's it <laughs> see ya <laughs> there's no follow-up in the community like weeks after and I think it's so important that you remember that when you're yeah. going through it is that whatever decisions are made for you or with you or about you in that in those final moments of pregnancy you're the one that's going to have to carry them forward they yeah. are just onto the next patient, onto their next person, onto their next scenario. You know, that's that's their job at the end of the day. And yeah, that's what's so amazing about midwifery is that they have can have such a profound effect on so many people. And we'll I'll remember those midwives forever, but they probably won't remember me because they'll just go to the next person and they oversee how many births. A day in hospital you know I was told that the hospital was so fully booked that they booked me for induction twice even though I said I'm not going to have an induction they said but we we should book it because we can't book them spur of the moment because the hospital's so busy so I was like you do what you need to do but just so you know I'm not going to come to that <laughs> I love you that is so cool that's what we want to talk about now like you were induced for this second pregnancy and birth as well, which, you know, five, seven years ago, that was not even allowed for a VBAC mum. Well, I w- so this is, this is the tricky part about it is because I so desperately was not going to be induced. That was my thing. I was not going to be induced. I was going to have a VBAC and I was not going to have any induction drugs, nothing. That was, was not on the table. So at, I, I did have one stretch and sweep um, around 39 weeks because there was a lot of pressure about my platelets because they had to order them in. So it was very like a logistical right. thing. Yeah. But at the same time, I was also, they're not going to, I'm not going to give birth without platelets. They're going to have to get them. So regardless of how it, they're just trying to make me fit into what suits them best, but if you're allowed to be selfish at any time in your life, it's now. So I was like, I'm just going to do what's best for me. And they're going to have to just go along with me instead of the other way around this time. So that's what I did. So, but I did have one stretch and sweep around 39 weeks. And then after that, I was like, no, uh, mind changed. That was it. I was like, I'm, I was having acupuncture two or three times a week already with um, a wonderful acupuncturist. And I was telling her that they, there was pressure for induction. So she was just like pushing hard with the induction, the acupuncture induction instead. And I could feel my body slowly doing stuff anyway. So I was like, no, there's going to be no more checks. There's going to be no more sweeps. There's going to be no talk of induction. If there is, I'm going to politely listen and let them do what they need to do to do fulfill their hospital policy but that's not going to affect me right now. I'm I'm just focused on seeing out the rest of this pregnancy as best I can, 
and just waiting. I was so excited to go into labor naturally because obviously I didn't feel that the first time. I was just waiting and every little hint, I was like, oh, could this be? What's going to happen? Is it going to happen tonight? Am I? Do I have enough sleep right now? What's going to happen with my son? Is he going to yeah. go to his granddad? What's going to happen? I don't know. So um, all of that was sort of in play. But when I got to 41 weeks and they kept offering me stretch and sweeps like very regularly um I said no again to a stretch and sweep I was happy to go on but their hospital policy was that the baby has to be born by 40 plus 10 days and I said but what if it's not what happens then like you can't surely you can't I can't be it doesn't have to be born like that's your policy but what what happens then and she said well you'll have to sign against medical advice and I was like okay where's the pen (laughs) Like just, I'm just going to go with my body knows when this baby is going to be born. So that's, if that's what's going to happen, that's what's going to happen. So they were, they agreed and that was fine, but they just asked, can we do a a scan to check the, um, check the amniotic fluid and the placenta and the growth and whatnot. So I said, yes. And they said that the baby hasn't grown since the last growth scan, which was two weeks previous. Um, so now I'm like, oh, okay, the baby hasn't grown and the baby was favoring blood flow to, um, the brain and the heart, which indicates that the placenta was now not working. So I'm sitting here thinking that doesn't feel right. It does like, doesn't feel something about this is not congruent with how I'm feeling about my body and my baby. I feel like everything's okay, but what they're telling me is really dangerous right that means the baby needs to get out right now like that's that's the message that I'm receiving from them so they said yes the baby it would be better if the baby is born within the next few days so I'd already had an induction booked um for two days time from this point so this I'm talking now of, on a Tuesday and the induction was booked for a Thursday so I was like can I just have that induction then because mm-hmm. I thought I'll go to acupuncture tomorrow and yeah. I already feel like something's happening anyway. So I'll just give my body as, as long as I can to do it itself. Um, so they said, okay, but then they said, okay, well, before you go, can we just do a trace? So it's almost like, okay, they agree, but can we just do this? And then they agree. And then they just want to do something else as well before I go. So they did a trace. They put me on the CTG for a 15, 20 minutes, and they said that that was also abnormal, which indicates that the baby's not coping very well inside. So that so now that it's preferable that the baby is born today and actually I shouldn't go home, that I should be induced now. So as you can yes. imagine, this is a lot. Was Roos there? Yeah, so he was with me. Yeah. It's a lot to take in. Yeah. Um, you know, number one for me is mourning. The fact that, okay, I'm not going to get to experience spontaneous labor and I know I'm going to be induced. So should I just ask the question? Like, what should I just have a cesarean? Is wow. you know, I was I was so sad and upset that I wasn't yeah. going to get to have a spontaneous labor that I, I really had to fight for my for my inner strength to tell me, no, don't give up because you you still have a chance for a VBAC. You can still do this everything that started stacking against me. And at that point, it was really hard to keep face, you know, and keep strength. And 
try and figure all of that out as well as being told that my placenta is failing and my baby hasn't grown and all of these other things that just it was like I was just hearing words because I honestly didn't feel that that was I didn't feel that the baby was in distress or anything I some part of me just knew that everything was fine but what do I know I'm not a doctor <laughs> um so I said to my midwife can I at least go home have something to eat and pack my bag and come back so she said okay but like insin- insinuated not to dawdle like come back as soon as you can so that's what we did we arranged for my son to be looked after um and we came back in and we went to the antenatal ward they so the induction method was going to be through a balloon catheter and then they'd break my waters the next day um and when they were showing me what the balloon catheter induction method is like I was like wow this is it seems really medieval <laughs> like this is that seems like it's gonna hurt is that not gonna hurt and they're like well you know it's a little bit it can be a little bit uncomfortable and I was like okay I'll be the judge of that <laughs> but this was my only chance to not have the drugs so I was like okay mm-hmm. I'd rather try that um otherwise it would be the drugs and also the risk obviously with the drugs the risk of uterine rupture increases yes so from their perspective as well, they would prefer to not use the drugs. So I was happy we were all on the same page about that. So here we go. We arrive at the at the hospital um, and we get put into a shared room. And then the midwife says, okay, well, you just hang out here for a bit. Um, and Bruce, you can stay till 8 p.m. or whatever it was. And I just started crying again. I was like, no, like, this is not happening. You know that I don't want to be induced. You know this is not what I wanted. How can my husband now leave me? You know that I've had this special support exemption to have him with me. And now, like, through the hard part, he's not going to be with me. This is not okay. Like, find me a room, that a private room. <laughs> go, girl. So yeah. she was like, okay, let me go, let me go and see. And luckily someone was just leaving so we just had to wait 20 minutes for that room to be cleaned and then we got a private room so Bruce could stay thank goodness for that because I would have gone home I think it I think I would have just said no I'm not being induced I'm not I would rather go home and take the risk than be induced by myself this is just that's just not something that I want to do um so anyway, after the, the the messages and the pressure to be induced, I arrived at the hospital and it took them probably about five hours to start the induction. So I was like, I okay, know. it can't be that much of an emergency. I so know. I really took that as a good sign. I was like, this is terrible, but I'm going to take it positively. It means that I actually have, have time. Yeah. You know, because... Um, yeah. If they, if it was really an emergency, I would be having a cesarean right now. Yeah. So I, I tried to look at everything as positively as I could because I can, from the, from the therapy that I'd done, I had learned that I can only control my response to things. So if you are out of control, like in a hospital situation, you can control your response. 
So I just decided I'm going to, if I can't control the situation, I can control how I feel about the situation. So that's what I did. I just took that frame of mind. And from that point on, there wasn't any more tears. There was a bit of confusion because there was a lot of logistics that I was being, (laughs) that I was somehow... The, the like the pressure of the logistics were being put on me but I was like I don't see how any of that is my problem you need to figure yeah. out your own logistics and staffing <laughs> issues I'm not gonna I'm not gonna feel bad about there not being enough staff I'm not gonna feel bad about you know um the logistics of breaking the waters and then if you don't go into labor by a certain time then you have to have the oxytocin drip and I was like none of that is my problem not none of that is my problem all I'm gonna do is you're gonna give me as much time as you possibly can so I got them to let me have 24 hours after they broke my waters which initially they were just happy for me to go on the drip straight away and I was like wow. do I have do I have to go on the drip how long do I have like and they're like oh well actually yeah you probably could have 24 hours and I was like wait just give me as much time as I can because I I don't want to have any drugs. I need my body to do this all itself. I need the the natural hormones, the natural endorphins and all of that to come without drugs. I'm not, I'm not risking any, I'm not risking any of that with with the drugs. And also the drugs previously in my first birth made me feel so bad. So I just wanted to be in complete control and do as much as I could to, to get what I wanted. So Come the morning and they broke my waters. So they, you yeah. had the catheter overnight. It fell yeah. out at like four centimeters or something like that. Or I felt, I feel like it fell out straight away. I honestly feel like oh. my body was going into labor anyway. It was doing it, and they, yeah. And then they ruptured the membranes, and yeah, they. Did you get so stuck the, into the natural induction techniques from Shebirths, like the bouncing on the football or like acupressure? everything of, everything <laughs> everything the whole lot the whole list everything that was in there right. so we um after the balloon catheter was put in we were like please don't anyone come in this room overnight like we Good put a do not, my husband printed off a do not disturb sign from home and he was like can I stick this on the door they're like oh we have one we put one on for you but we'd already decided Classic. like no one is coming in. We don't want any of those. Hello. Like, can we just check your blood pressure? Like, no, go away. We're not having any of that. So they were so amazing and they obliged and no one came into the room after 11 o'clock till about eight o'clock in the morning. So until good. the midwives came in and, um, Change moved me down time. to the, de- moved down to the delivery ward to break, to do the breaking of the waters. Um, and, when she broke my waters, I was around three centimeters. Yep, beautiful. Um, so after she broke the waters, we'd set we'd set up the room. We'd bought these little battery tea lights. Yep. Um, we'd bought a projector, like a, a night light projector, which Aww. projected like blue and green stars on the ceiling. Um, we closed all the curtains. It was a rainy day anyway, so it was really dark, and we just made it as dark and cavey as possible awesome. so we set up set everything up and then as soon as she broke my waters we were like okay let's go downstairs and we sort of trekked the hospital I walked up and down stairs we walked all along the corridors got coffee had breakfast 
Um, and then I could sort of feel things were starting to happen a bit more intensely. So we went back to the room and just settled in. And my midwife just left us alone. She obviously yeah. thought that it was going to be a while because she didn't really come back in. And there was this whole talk about having to be on the monitor the whole time because of the VBAC. And I, in my antenatal appointments, had constantly questioned this. I, I didn't want to have the monitoring. They're like, yeah, but it's wireless. And I was like, yeah, but it's restrictive. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't like it. Yeah, but, but I do it hurts want my it. tummy because it's tight elastic bands and it's annoying. Yeah. Yes, because it's annoying. And also you told me that my CTG was abnormal. So all I'm doing is looking at the CTG, checking the heart rate. It's distracting. Yeah, I can't me look anxious. at it. Yeah. It's so it, I was like, okay, please can we just turn off the CTG? Can we just mute it? And she was like, oh, I can just take it off. I'm just going to take it off. I was like, thanks. That's really great. So she was amazing she was like okay but you know I'll come back in and check yeah just do intermittent monitoring yeah Yeah. so she just came back in and checked every now and again but she only checked maybe like two or three times the whole day so we were basically left alone the whole time and in that we we did all the yoga poses we bounced on the ball um Bruce took a nap I tried to lay down like just watch funny tv um we did all the acupressure um Clary Sage we did the we had they the hospital actually have little oil burners yeah. so we brought our sage burning that one um diffusing not burning yeah and ev- yeah everything we even did the rebozo which was yep. funny because we like couldn't quite remember how to do it so we were laughing about it and I was like nice. oh, it, doesn't, Perfect. it doesn't really feel right but it's funny you know we were just laughing and laughing and I was like this is good like everything it was nice. just such a from a really from an opportunity to be really negative we really made it our mission to make it positive and yeah. we just started laughing at all the things that all the adversity basically and all the obstacles that came our way because I'd also declined the GBS um, screening. Yeah. And there were so many things. I was like, oh, here we go. The doctors are coming in again to talk to me about how my status is unknown. (laughs) My GBS status is unknown, which means that they have to explain all the risks. But at no stage do they explain the risks of antibiotics at birth. No. They don't explain any of those things. So yeah. I'm just sitting there like, okay, I felt informed. I felt like I'd made my decision based off good information and research. So I just listened to them and I was like, thank you for explaining, but no, thank you. That's fine. All of those things. So there was there was a lot of little moments like that where doctors had to sort of explain things to me because of some of the choices that I'd made, which was fine. I expected that. There was going to be lots yeah. of things. Yeah. There was going to be, you know, the VBAC um, about the uterine rupture being talked about, yeah. about about the drugs, all of the risks being talked about. So I just kind of already had expected and preempted that these things were going to happen on the day two, as well as trying to be in the zone, you know, trying to be in my yeah. trying to be in my oxytocin bubble and trying to keep it as calm as possible. And I feel like with everything we did a good enough job um, to make it happen. So we were just at this stage, we're just going for it now in the middle of the day, things, 
I got the tens machine on. We I started with the gas, which is I love the gas. The gas for me is just the best. I was having hilarious time on it. We were just laughing <laughs> and it was so much fun. And my husband's, you know, he's he's pretty funny. He makes like, lots of jokes, and I was just laughing. And it was so good that it just all happened so quickly. I think awesome. Um. So because it was really getting intense, I decided I wanted to have a check the next time she came in. Yep, yep. So I had a check. She said, I'm still the same as what I was in the morning. But I was like, I actually didn't care because I felt I knew my body was progressing. I knew that from when she checked me to now, I was having regular contractions. I was having regular, I could I could count how many minutes were in between and how long they were lasting and doing all of those things, which... I didn't think was going to help me, you know, doing the contraction timing, but I actually found that in the moment it was quite good for me. Yep. In the beginning. Yep. Um, I mean, like just, I mean, this obsession with dilation, I mean, being checked, it's great that you felt that strength and that agency to ask. It's also great that you're able to just let it go because it's just a number. And so yeah. really you went back into your own personal experience and knowing that this was still happening just because you were the same dilation as you were last check. You know, did she tell you how much the baby had descended? Like, cause descent happens before dilation, you know? So, so she, yeah, she, she said, she said I was still the same, but she said, don't worry. She did actually say, like, don't worry oh, yeah. about that at all. I can see that you're progressing very well. Yeah. Like you're doing really well. Just yeah. keep it up. Do what do what you're doing, kind of thing. And yeah. I'm gonna leave, I'm gonna leave you alone now. So right. she just kept coming in, doing her little bits around and and then leaving. And that was great. I didn't feel that like it was funny. an interruption. Uh, I, didn't, I never felt at any stage that she was interrupting anything. I felt so mm-hmm. comfortable with her. Um, and so the next time she came in, I wanted her to do a check again. But this time I said to her, if I'm not above six centimeters, just don't tell me, don't tell me the number. <laughs> I'll know that I'm somewhere in between three and six and that's okay with me. I just, I, because it was really intense for me now yeah. and yeah. I was sort of walking and every time I would walk, it would tr- trigger a contraction and I'd been in the shower a bit. I thought I was going to love the water. I thought that's where I was going to be. I was going to be in the bath or in the shower, but I actually hated being cold like after. Right. So I tried all these things and it was getting really intense and I was like, okay, well, I I need to start thinking about what position where I want to be and what's going to happen because I'm very logical like that. Even though everything happened instinctually, I was almost trying to plan it to give myself the the next step. Yeah. Yeah. Even though like none of those things actually matter, like when you're just moving around, it just happens automatically anyway. But that's where my mind was at that stage. So I wanted to know if I should just have try and rest a bit more because maybe it was going to go on a bit longer. Yeah. I wasn't really sure. So she didn't say, so she, she did a check and then she didn't say anything. So obviously I wasn't above six. So I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm just going to try and rest. So I tried to lay down, but I couldn't, I was, I was, it was obviously go time. Like I was, it was the intense, the intensity had really amped up and 
it was it was happening for me so I was like Bruce you need to like start helping me now so we would move around together and we would dance and we I actually just cried because he played this song um it's called River by Leon Bridges if yeah you ever listen it's to such it, a it's, beautiful song it's beautiful it's so nice and we just danced and laughed and every and it got to a stage where I actually couldn't talk anymore through the through each contraction so I was like okay this is this is it now like it's going to be happening very soon so we sort of started to prep for that and um you know when you get to that stage of labor it's just all about each contraction yeah and just the breaks in between them get shorter so it's just all about working through each one and we were working with just the tens and the gas and it was we were doing really well it was it was just we were just going for it it was great and um when my midwife came in again she was like oh hang on what's going on what's going on here it's like she was like oh I better start getting ready type of thing so she started to prep um and just out of nowhere my body started having doing uh like pushing I started having those contractions where it would like end in sort of a throaty sound yeah and she was like are you are you pushing and I was like, I don't know what my body's doing, but it's doing something on its own. Like I was getting to the stage where I was not talking. It yeah. was like I could, I knew what was going on around me, but I was not, I was not present anymore. I was, I went totally inwards. Everything was, I felt, comp- I obviously felt completely safe just to let yeah. go. Yeah. Um. Because in this moment they had, they had said to me that once I was in active labor, that's when they would do a cannula for me because, you know, there was the whole risk of postpartum hemorrhage with low platelets was higher. And if I needed to have extra platelets transfused, um, I needed the cannula because I'd also argued the cat having the cannula uh, upon presentation. So I was lucky that I didn't, because even with my high risk status, I still managed to negotiate to get that as last minute as possible. Um, but I, they had obviously miscalculated how quickly my body was progressing based on the yeah. number. Yeah. Like you say, a number is just a number. Like my cervix obviously went from zero to a hundred in like half an hour. Yeah. So um, some of the other, another nurse came in to help with the cannula, but I was already, it was, it was the, the it baby was, so was already coming. Like yeah. I didn't know what they were doing. I couldn't, I, didn't notice at all that they were trying to get a cannula in. I was already, I describe it as like, you just go to another planet first to come back. Like you circle around this whole process of you, you like, it's almost an out of body experience. You're like, you leave, you watch, you go to collect your baby and you come back. Like that's honestly how I felt in the moment is that you leave, you leave and you come back. And it was, I felt so, such intense, intense, it wasn't even pain. It was, it was everything. It was emotion. It was experience. It was all of, it was redemption. It was all of these things. And it just, I was so loud that I, and I didn't even care. You know, I thought that I would, before birth, you're like, what am I going to be like? Like, am I going to be loud? Am I going to poo? Like, what's going to happen? All of these things that you think are going to be so embarrassing, but it just really, you don't even care when you're giving birth. Like, 
or I remember saying at one point I was like I think I'm gonna shit myself like that's what it <laughs> felt like and they were like that's good that's what it's supposed to feel like that means you're very close keep going and Roos was like in my face just a total hype man saying you can do this yeah. you're really close you're really close it's so close it's it's happening like you're gonna meet the baby oh. any minute now he just kept telling me these things in hindsight he was like I had no idea like I didn't know if you were close or not I was just telling you that you were and it seemed to work so it was really great to just have him there as a constant you know while everything else was going on and the baby was coming down and at some point I remember like you feel that immense pressure there and I put my hand down and I could feel feel the baby's head and I was like oh my goodness this was this is it like so close the next contraction I I just pushed I gave it everything and she came out in one push her wow. whole body just plopped wow. out oh my and I was God. I was in such such shock that I was like I turned around and I was like oh my gosh is she did she is she there like did she come out <laughs> what just happened they're like yep the baby's born and I tried to move around to pick her up, but um, they were like, stop, because my leg was tangled in the umbilical cord where she'd yeah. come out from below wow. through my legs and I tried you to turn around. you on all fours on the floor? Were you on all fours on the bed? So I, I was leaning up again. I put the bed really, really low down and I was leaning on the bed, but I'd ha- I, I was on one knee with one foot up. Yep, in a lunge, yeah. Uh, like a lunge, yep. Actually, a funny thing is that at one point the the image of your little demo pelvis came into my mind oh my god I was like tailbone needs to be up like because I was lying on my back not on my back but sort of on the floor on the beanbag at one stage and they're like you can stay here if you want to give birth like this in this position I was like no 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 I need to be in this I need to move I need to move so they all helped me move into this like supported squat position because I was thinking about my pelvis the whole time. Classic. <laughs> so, and you remembered Polly the pelvis from Sheba. That's good. I know. I just, That's just so the cute. pelvis popped into my head and that little tailbone example where you push it in yeah. and pull it out, it just popped into my mind. And I was like, that's what I need right now. It needs to be, I don't know whether it was instinctual or whether yeah. it was. Um, it was instinctual, totally. I was, I was just, I just. You were being needed, an animal right now. You were I just, just needed being to be in that a mummy position. animal. Yeah. yeah, I just needed to be in that position and that's that's all. And at that stage as well, like any movement was, it was just contraction uh, on top of each other, no no respite at all. Um, so in hindsight, I'm pretty lucky that it happened quite quickly because it was like I just did not get any break between contractions. They were just, it was like ongoing. Um, but, yeah, then she, she came out. Um, we didn't know what she was. And they, I was like, well, what did I have? And they said, come round and have a look. And Bruce came round and he was looking for a bit. And I think because we'd had a boy, he was looking for a penis. <laughs> that he was like, oh, it's a girl. <laughs> Huge. So it was just, it was, it was beautiful. And I was in shock and I was in so much shock that I couldn't even cry. Like my body was shaking. I was, the adrenaline had obviously just kicked in and, yeah just in complete in awe of myself I just kept saying I just did that I did that I did that 
can't believe that I just did it. I just did that. Like I, I just kept saying that over and over again. They're like, yes, you did. Well done. Like you did yeah. so good. Well You're wiring done. it. You're wiring it. Like the brain's yeah. catching up to the mammal and the body and what it's done. And you're like connecting body mind and you're shaking off the, the trauma and the change. And you are now repatterning yourself. You rewrote the whole story, you know. It was honestly the most intense, incredible experience of my life, like the best day ever. I would, as soon as I like come down from all of those, from that rush, I was like, I want to do it again. Like that was so good. It was so (laughs) amazing. Um, Everything just, and I was just so, so proud of myself in that moment. And I kept saying to everyone, like, I'm so proud of myself. I just had no shame about saying, I was just, yeah I was just in in my own corner like you did it everything you worked for paid off like all the research all the birth prep all the course the course that you did everything was so so worth it and that I I I honestly credit the birth to all of those things like you if I didn't do any birth preparation who knows what would have happened but I feel like when you do work hard towards something and it pays off in a way that you want it's so much more rewarding yeah and I just feel like my little tiny baby who was born 2.7 kilos (laughs) with a perfectly healthy placenta by the way which was really annoying (laughs) and so glad that I did get I get what I wanted because if I had to have a cesarean and I had a healthy placenta I would have been quite annoyed and upset at that you know because that was that's something that happens you know they they just can only tell what they can tell on ultrasounds so but when I look back obviously my instinct and my gut feeling knew yeah that nothing was wrong that everything was fine yeah um but it was just intense and amazing and after uh, after she was born they were all they all sort of flustered around me because they were expecting me to bleed yeah but I just had normal blood loss yeah nothing happened and everything was everything worked out fine and they did um give me the injection to for the um the active management of, of placenta yeah and my placenta was born and I got to see my placenta this time, which was amazing because I didn't get to see it the last time. And just a completely different experience and just totally yeah. in awe of what women's bodies can do. And yeah, what I did, I was just so intensely proud of, of what I did and everything that I had to overcome to get there. But once I got there, it was so worth it. Yeah, beautiful. The words that come to mind for me are like whole. You know, it's a whole experience. There's that completion. Yeah. You were held. You were empowered. And I think, you know, you managed the decisions. Um, you danced with the system. I think when we choose to birth within the hospital, you can't fight. You have to, like, navigate and dance with yeah. it, you know, and you find mm-hmm. the balance with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, particularly when there are risk factors to, to manage, you know. Yeah. That's what you did. You danced with it and you let the sort of lang- their language sort of flow off you if it wasn't correct. And, you know, you can only do that through education and through empowerment. 
That's right. It's just about staying empowered as well yeah. and not, not letting the language affect you. And yeah. like you say, it is a dance. It's just you have to be prepared to pivot. You have to be prepared yeah. to take something that is unexpected and try your best to respond yeah. in a way that is that is suitable to you and makes and it frame it yeah and frame it differently or even That's if something right. seems scary take it out of context look at it differently get some perspective ask someone else how get advice from from someone who knows or speak to someone who is passionate about birth because when you speak to people who are passionate about birth you can you can feel so empowered just from one conversation that's true so true that's true and yeah that reframing is what how we make a beautiful birth no matter what unfolds it's not about a perfect birth and um I think also we we, we talk in she births and I suppose people who've done she births I just want to remind them of that aspect of like you have to choose faith in birth over and over and over again yeah, especially when you're in the system yeah. politics protocols and policies you know and mm-hmm. power plays all of these p's that get in the way often of that faith and that relaxation and the pleasure but you guys did so well to choose that faith to hold that line and to relax together to do that dance and make it your own and bring joy and pleasure into the birth you were like rock stars you did so good yeah. Thank you. I feel like we really, really did with everything. It's it's all about prep. It's all about knowledge and empowerment and education and then applying it. You have to apply it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad that you had great support from a psychologist as well. And yeah, really important. If, if, if there's if there's even a little hint of trauma from the first birth, or even if there's not, it's always good to have a debrief with someone and pick yeah. up on things, you know, just someone who knows about that stuff or knows about birth doesn't necessarily yeah. have to be a psychologist because, I mean, not everyone would feel comfortable going to a psychologist. No. So well, we offer work- birth debriefs as well now, like so yeah. that, being, making sure that people are aware that we're trauma-informed but we're not psychologists, we're not therapists, but I think... Often as someone who's, you know, talked to thousands of women about their birth experiences over the last 20 years, thousands upon thousands, um, I know a lot about birth and I can help people understand why things did unfold. And often it is a learning of, well, if that hadn't happened, then this wouldn't have happened. And do you understand that that language made you feel a particular way that then set up, you know, the framework in your mind to perceive something differently? You know, so... Yeah, I think your story is a really empowering one for a lot of people, very informative. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for sharing. And little Zai. Oh, it's a pleasure. She's just fallen asleep. Oh, she's, <laughs> she's like, I've heard this story before many times. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get lots of good photos? Uh, so funnily enough, in, after she was born, I was like, someone take a photo. I obviously had the wits about me to get someone to take a photo because I just wanted to remember that moment. Yeah. Um, so I got a, I got a couple of photos. Yeah. A couple of That's nice good. ones. That's um, so important. Yeah, it is. Cause you'll look back on that as well. And it's like, I did that. I yeah. can do anything, you know, I, yeah. it is oh. this moment for people, you know, to remember through the challenges going forward. 
That's right. And you have that superhuman feeling for the first couple of days after where you feel like you can literally do anything, um, which I definitely did not rest that much the first couple of days because I thought I was this, I, I'm amazing. Like I, you know, I did tear a little bit and I had a couple of stitches, um, but I didn't really feel any, I felt like I didn't really feel any pain or I wasn't in any discomfort. So I was like, this, I, I'm a superhero. Like I can do anything. I've got a toddler I need to look after. But then, you know, this time I've definitely been kinder to myself and slowed down after the first week. <laughs> good, 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 good. Yeah. Good. Oh, thanks, Yannicka. Do you want to share any last messages to families out there, partners as well? Anything you'd like to say from you or for Ruth? From Ruth? Um, I just think my main takeaway from my experience would be to really listen to your instincts because they're not nothing. And when you're navigating the hospital system, a lot of the advice that they give often does go against what you feel and your instincts. And that's sometimes the hard thing to, to navigate is that you do feel like it's, it's not the same as, as how you feel what they're saying. So when you feel something really just hold space for that and listen to it and and give it the attention that it deserves because it's speaking to you for a reason. Nice. Yeah, beautiful. Well, thank you, darling. Thanks for sharing. You go and enjoy a beautiful sunny day down by the beach. Oh, it's lovely. I've been walking every day by the beach so far. So good. This week. (laughs) Just this week. (laughs) I'm Nadine Richardson and you've been listening to The She Births Show. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share with a friend and leave us a review. We'd love to know what you would like to hear more of. You can find me and my team of amazing doulas and educators at shebirths.com and our awesome community on Instagram and Facebook. Within any good app store, you can download our free pregnancy guide via she births, two separate words and plural, as well as access a range of online courses. Remember when it comes to having a better birth, an easier transition into parenthood, your education is your empowerment. Don't forget to check out the catalogue of previous podcasts and thank you for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the show.